0: Welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant. Coming up in this episode, high-altitude mountaineering and the most popular, unpopular things.
1: Oh, I absolutely love the suffering. It's like, that's why you go there. You feel so alive when you are just so focused in the moment. Like, And then the snow bridge just collapsed underneath me, and somehow I was able to just get my ice axe in, my crampons in, and <laughs> hold on to the rope. And above 8,000 meters, um, you have about 24 hours until you die. You actually get to be yourself. Like, you're, I, for one second, I didn't feel too short or too this or too that. Like, what you always kind of feel like you're trying to measure up to some sort of, sort of um, standard
0: I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share, leave a review. We really appreciate it. it. really helps us out. So our first guest spends her life climbing some of the highest mountains on earth. And she has this fascinating story, not just about what it's really like when you're 8,000 meters, 27,000 feet up there, but about not letting what people think you are dictate the things that you want to do because the more uncomfortable conditions get the happier she is this is high altitude mountaineer lota hinza when you look at like the difference between say the backyard mountain right the 8000 9000 foot one how is that different than the kinds of mountains that you're climbing when you're really getting up there
1: so the difference is mostly the amount of oxygen that you can get into your system so it's about 50 percent of the atmospheric pressure at sea level so our body needs the oxygen to function aerobically and when you're doing long distance what you usually do on the mountains it you use the aerobic system in your body a lot so the higher you go the harder its function
0: Is there a point where like you're going up, say, 4,000 meters, 5,000 meters, 6,000 meters? Is there a certain, is it a gradual thing or is there a point where you're like, oh, you suddenly really notice?
1: It's quite a bit about acclimatization as well. So our body can adjust to high altitude and the lack of oxygen pretty, pretty well. It depends on a person as well. I, have, I seem to have the ability to acclimatize pretty easy, easily to um, higher altitudes.
0: How long does it take you to kind of get used to the change, to the higher altitude?
1: It takes about two weeks to acclimatize entirely. Then again, of course, this depends on the altitude as well. Above 6,500 meters, um, your body doesn't acclimatize anymore. So after that, The higher you go, the faster your body will just shut down.
0: Now, that's the death zone, right? Is that the...
1: Yes. That is exactly the death zone. And above 8,000 meters, um, you have about 24 hours until you die, if you're not on supplemental oxygen. So, a lot of climbers use supplemental oxygen to climb high. I've never used it. I never will. (laughs) And... Um, Just my style of climbing. Going up against the mountain. How did
0: you kind of get into this?
1: A lot of my childhood I spent in Ethiopia. And we lived in Addis Abeba, which is like a mountain region itself. I just completely fell in love with the mountains in there. Finland, where I'm from, is completely flat. And in general, I've just always been... I've loved the outdoors and had this... like need to get to higher levels <laughs> so or just higher to higher elevations when i was a kid my mom always tells this story how i brought this really high chair like they had guests over so i brought this chair in front of the um or yeah in front of everyone and just climbed on top of it and was like very proud of it how i now climbed this high chair <laughs> i was two
0: now like when did you really get into the high Alpine stuff? Like, when did you start doing that?
1: Mm, Well, the extreme high altitude, which is considered to be above 5,000 meters. um, That was, well, my first mountain like that was Kilimanjaro, which is basically, um, I don't wanna sound arrogant or anything, but it's a bit of a walk in the park. And it felt like that to me. I was just really excited to be there. And because you do feel the effects of the altitude, my then um, husband, he he started puking and um, feeling really, really sick. And I was just like, oh, this is so awesome. And this is so fun. And I just didn't, I I mean, of course, I was trying to be nice to him and (laughs) empathetic towards him. But it was just, I thought it was just so cool to feel the challenge of what it brings to you—that you're not getting enough oxygen—because there's ways to mitigate that too, like the way you breathe, the way you move. It, you you need to be very strategic when you go up there, especially if you're doing it without uh, supplemental oxygen. So, 2016 was was the year I got into the higher, and then it's been higher and higher and higher. And
0: for for somebody who's never been up that high. Like, what is that like?
1: Well, last um, summer, me and uh, my climbing partner, slash nowadays life partner as well, slash my coach, <laughs> um, we were on Broad Peak, which is above 26,000 feet. And for for the first three weeks, we were the only two people on the mountain. We climbed without ropes. If we had used ropes, we put them in ourselves. We... Um, We'll always carry our own stuff it's it's very independent but when you're we, we're tackling a lot of snow like much more than usual so how I described it to someone who asked how it feels to climb a mountain just the two of you when you're breaking trail which is like exhausting especially when the snow is like up to your waist at times you can't breathe as much oxygen as you would like so it, it's kind of like having three Face masks on top of each other, and then you're carrying almost half of your weight, and then you're uh, doing like step ups onto a bench at a gym with with the weight on <laughs> and with the masks on, and sometimes the the bench just collapses underneath you. So do that for I don't know ten thousand reps, and then you get to camp one.
0: God. Then you get to camp one, right? (laughs) Then
1: you get to the first
0: part of like four or five camps, I'm assuming. Is four. God, that sounds really hard. So now to be able to do this, is it simply you need to have this amount of physical training and everybody and anybody of average athletic ability, if they put in the time training, they could accomplish this. Or do you need to have, there's something about you, your body, the way that you're designed. Do you have to have that, right? Can you just work and get here? Or it's like, look, some people genetically can do this and some people just can't.
1: I do believe that there is quite a bit of genetic predisposition. Because even when, so the way I started climbing, like I just dropped everything else, sold my house and just started climbing like full time. That was three and a half years ago after my current uh, coach, Don Bowie. He's one of the best climbers in the world. And we ended up on the same mountain um, in the same base camp. And almost no one climbed that year. We were on Aconcagua, which is um, the highest mountain outside of the Himalayas. Almost 7,000 meters. And mm, we made it in a, a record time, like in really good time from camp to to the summit in super bad conditions um we were the 10th and the 11th or something like that of during that season who had even made it to the summit because the conditions were just really bad and i just kind of floated it i hadn't been training methodically for for like this sport and he was just like i don't care who you're gonna climb with but you need to start climbing hard and if you give me a year i'll make you a beast so i was like just a second, I'll do a little arrangement. And, and yeah, so I got a few sponsors. Um, I was Miss Finland in 2013. And I was in the like, I've been doing quite a bit of work in the public eye in entertainment industry um, for at that point for quite a few years. So I had connections. Uh, and my first sponsors for the year were a lingerie company a makeup company. Um, superfood company and a jewelry company so not the basic or the usual high altitude climber <laughs> sponsors has that
0: then as you've kind of gotten into the community has that been have they received you as one of their own or have you always been like the here comes the model here comes the social media girl or have do you think that they've kind of influenced or accepted you and I don't mean that like You shouldn't be you know what i mean
1: no i i I get it yeah um well one of my goals in life or kind of like themes in life has been just breaking barriers or glass ceilings i i feel like whatever i've done in my life whether it's been working as a very young store manager or uh jumping from i graduated from Business and econ- economics, and then it suddenly became Miss Finland, and just like <laughs> I've had quite quick turn turnarounds, or people have felt like they're quick turnarounds, but for me, it has all been based in curiosity and where I've felt like my attraction point in life is, and it's adventure, and it's um, going towards fear, and it's going towards challenges. So, so yeah, I've I've definitely noticed that there is there is this um like i've been called a mascot like when i was doing a winter expedition on broad peak with two of the best climbers in the world people outside like we were three people on this mountain it was around i'd say i don't know fahrenheit that well but i know minus 40 celsius and minus 40 fahrenheit are the same so it was around that temperature we're climbing blue yeah we're climbing blue ice it's like you make one mistake you're at the bottom of the mountain and kilometers of like just climbing ice. So it's, um, it was definitely very cool for me like a big learning curve. But at the same time, I did hold my own I carried my like my weight and I I was I had like, righteously I had my place in that team. So hearing stuff like, oh, who's carrying your makeup and she's just a mascot? I'm like, you'll see. It's, it's not my business. Like if someone has has these prejudices, it's more, in, more their problem than mine.
0: What I guess what do you, like what keeps you coming back? What do you think is like the ultimate draw of it for you?
1: Putting myself out there, facing the challenges, feeling discomfort, going um, towards things that might feel scary um i don't really ever feel scared i acknowledge that this is like a dangerous situation but i need to focus really really hard and i can mitigate the situation that's what i bring into my training like i train um depending on the cycle but 20 to 30 hours a week of endurance during the endurance period and then we have like more technical training periods or cycles and uh, uh, more like strength uh, based but I just I work my ass off <laughs> so I bring that idea of like this will make me be better in this and this situation I can take on the mountain like every time I go to a mountain I want to take the mountain on on its terms and not bring the mountain down to my level
0: has there been a shift in climbing like this I don't know if this is the right word the climbing like ethos or perspective in which you know i used to watch these things about right like the documentary going up at everest and i always wondered like it looks like everybody somebody else is doing all the work right like they got the sherpas just fixing the ropes and carrying the stuff has there been a shift where like no you you got to do this whole thing yourself
1: um i hope there is a bit more but i do see more and more of this kind of i mean last year on broad peak it ended up in a death of a climber, because there were people who were not experienced enough to be there. And we were involved in a bunch of or a few rescue operations. And it just, I I wish there was more of this, I will apprentice and like, take a step by step by step. But nowadays, because um, this is an exaggeration, but you kind of want the picture on the summit on your Instagram page. And then to get there, you need to use a lot of money and just pay for someone to get you up there. <laughs> it's that then when something goes wrong, you don't know what to do and people don't know what to do.
0: When you go in terms of like, all right, from your average mountain. Obviously, it's different for every single one, but is it generally – like how long of a trip are you look, usually looking at? You Like you've got to co- – it's going to take you this long. you are going to cover this many kilometers, this much vertical. Like I know that every mountain is obviously different, but in general, kind of like what are you preparing for?
1: Like you said, every mountain is different, but basically I would say that the higher the mountain, the long it, longer you need to be um, – on the mountain or at the base of the mountain acclimatizing waiting for weather windows like that's the most to me it's the hardest part of expeditions like you might sit in base camp for de- 10 days just waiting for the weather window to open so you get to like either go up and acclimatize or have a summit push but um an 8000 meter peak so there are 14 8000 meter peaks in the world and they usually take about two months, even more, to to climb. But then you go to seven thousand, like Aconcagua, in South America, in Argentina, and it's a thousand meters lower, and three weeks max.
0: There's that much of a difference just in that thousand meters.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Wow, is that just because that? an 8,000 meter peak is that much bigger than a 7,000 meter peak or because no, having that much less oxygen is going to take you that much longer.
1: Yeah. It's the oxygen.
0: So if you go above like the death zone, right? Like the thing that I've always heard is that, okay, your body is basically dying once you're up here. Once you go back below, are you like, you're back to normal or are there long-term effects that like, You have taken this out of your body and it's not coming back.
1: In general, I always do feel weaker after a long expedition. But the use of supplemental oxygen, that helps a lot in mitigating those those symptoms. Like you're just not functioning the same way. Like when you're especially when you're climbing without supplemental oxygen, it compromises like all of the functions of your body. Like when we went on Winter, Broad Peak. My climbing partner told me, like it's fifty-fifty that you'll lose a finger or a nose or something, because when you're you're just your blood circulation doesn't work the same way; it doesn't work as effectively, and uh, the first place it leaves is your fingers or like the extremities of your body. Yeah, and there there is a saying that we do lose brain cells up in the <laughs> up in the higher elevations, so. Yeah, not sure if if we can ever recover those. But, yeah, that's yeah. A, that's
0: a debatable topic. We did have a neuro a neuroscientist on once who said, oh, you kind of replace them, but you just don't replace the ones you really oh, need." I hope so. <laughs> that's I hope what so. he's like. You replace the ones that kind of <laughs> like keep your body moving, but not the ones. No, does it affect like your decision making at all?
1: Yes, it does affect your decision making, and um, you just feel like. Your brains work much slower. So far, I've I've felt pretty good. Like as high as I've gone, I've always felt in control. And that's the thing: you have to make the decision beforehand that you will never. Because you, every time you put yourself in a position where something bad can happen to you, you're compromising the lives and the safety of everyone else on the mountain as well. Like personally, I'm. If there is something going wrong, I've, I've left a summit push three times, or I've, I've failed on well failed to me, it wasn't a failure, because it was such a big, cool adventure in general. And uh, like, I don't go on these mountains for the summit, I go for the journey. But three times I've left a mountain without a summit, because there has been a rescue situation, whether no matter how, like involved I've been, but still, I've taken that step back and a lot of people when they go on these mountains they think that this is what they would do but you sort of go into a default mode and you see a lot of this kind of mm, people come back and say that I never thought I would behave or act that way
0: Is that a common thing though up there like look you get in trouble nobody's coming for you
1: You can't go there up uh, and expect someone to help you. And that's one of the issues that a lot of people do when they pay big money, that someone is going to help you. But you got to be there with an attitude and with the knowledge that if everything else disappears around you, like your safety net, every other person, um, you don't have ropes, ropes are taken down by an avalanche, you're just left with your ice tools, your ice axes and your crampons that you can get down the mountain by yourself. But a lot of people rely on ropes so much. Like, you don't necessarily even need to bring an ice, ice axe to Everest nowadays anymore because you can just use this Jumar thingy that you slide up the rope and it doesn't come down.
0: But that, you know, is that for more that, kind of the, like, the tourist alpinist stuff, right? Like, the, the hardcore of the hardcore is isn't doing that, though.
1: 90, no. 95%. 90 to 95% of people who go up on these expeditions nowadays climb like that. Wow. But it's 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 made easy, so like why not?
0: Has then then like for people who are still kind of looking for like the true experience then. Like where are they going for that, right? Like if Everest is now Disney World. I'm being dramatic obviously. But if Everest is now like Disney yeah, World, could, like where are, where are you going for the real stuff?
1: Well, definitely the fourteen eight thousand meter peaks are very popular at the moment. That's kind of like the, I don't know if you've heard of the seven summits. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's like climbing the highest mountain of every continent. And now it's become more like the fourteen eight thousand meter peaks. So you climb all the 8,000 meter peaks in the world. But I'd say that a lot of... Uh, a lot of climbers that I know and uh, climb with um, are looking for experiences outside the normal routes. And uh, that, that's kind of where... Okay, let's just say that I'm gravitated towards um, routes outside of the normal routes. So it's more about just me and the mountain or just me, my climbing partner and, and the mountain. So that's, that's where my future goals are and future plans it doesn't have to be an 8000 meter peak there are a bunch of mountains that you throw a rock rock in the air and it reaches eight (laughs) thousand. so it's like i'm i'm cool with the height not starting with an eight as long as it's a fun route
0: are you ready for some harder slash listener submitted questions yes did you hear my voice crack when i said that like i was a 13 year old boy (laughs) I've been a little sniffly. So
1: okay. Like, <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. Well, now I'm not sure if I'm ready. I know, right, okay, right. right? Um, this is,
0: I like this question. Can you enjoy it? Okay. Or is it so physically difficult that you're just suffering through the whole thing?
1: Oh, I absolutely love the suffering. It's like, that's why you go there. You feel so alive when you're just so focused in the moment, like, there's no room for any other stress factors other than where you are at at the moment and I don't know I get this weird kick like the harder it gets I'm like oh now we're getting started so I do a lot of ultra runs as well so the first 15 hours is boring because you're just like can the suffering start already and then you're like okay now we're and now it gets interesting.
0: But does that ruin everyday life then, right? Because I know that, like people like yourselves, you go on these massive adventures, but that can't be that much. Like, does it ruin then the kind of common commonality of everyday life? Where, like, all right, Tuesday's laundry day. Does it make everything else seem less impressive?
1: I, I get what you mean. Um, I do a lot of stuff that feels interesting and um like even training that you tell someone to go on a stair stepper for five hours inside what looked like just staring at the same wall you just change your mentality you, you're like okay well not most most people couldn't do this or wouldn't want to do this so i'll get, take the challenge on and see how how i can make this interesting
0: you've been on a stairmaster for five hours straight yes
1: yes five days in a week
0: That sounds like the worst experience in all of life. That sounds terrible. What do you do? Like, what, how do you, are you just watching movies?
1: It's, um, no, I, I answer or reply to emails and messages. And uh, sometimes I do like Instagram, um, Q and A's and that kind of stuff. Yeah. You would have to, I, I always invent things. Yeah. Listen to music.
0: Five hours on a stairmaster. Oh my gosh! That's
1: like an average. Sometimes it's four, sometimes it's six. And yeah.
0: Oh, only four hours on it, man. So then, how many calories do you have to eat in a day?
1: A lot. I like. I have zero food rules other than not have food rules and eat a lot.
0: Yeah. Now, will you? Will your body go through big changes during one of those expeditions, right? Like we just had a guy on that was solo sailing around the world. And he would say, well, when I sail from LA to Hawaii, I know I'm going to lose 25 pounds.
1: Um, So I always try to gain weight before I go on an expedition, which is sometimes hard because you're just training so much. But um, you do lose some body mass, mostly it's muscle, which sucks. So that's why you can't really go on back-to-back expeditions if you're climbing without supplemental oxygen, because the effect is is bigger that way. But then I just eat a lot in base camp. <laughs> it's,
0: eat as much just, as you can get.
1: It's like, yeah, I I try to aim at for four to five thousand um, calories.
0: How do you go to the bathroom up there?
1: That is always the second question. Like whenever I'm in a public speaking situation people like try to soften things up with another question and then they go to that so um there depends if you're in base camp or if you're up on the mountain but let's just say that for example if you're going for number two sometimes your climbing partner has to delay you from the tent so that you can go down a little like roped up and and there's situations where you're doing that stuff in very sketchy places just hoping that your tombstone won't say that died while pooping but it's it's like a bathroom with a view
0: that's it that actually leads us perfectly in this next question what's Mm. the view like
1: okay amazing this is what i tell people that because many people think that you need to get to the summit to enjoy the view but wherever you you are in life and whatever your journey or mountain, it's like, look back, like every 10 or hundred or at least a thousand meters and just enjoy where you are. Look back how far you've come. And that actually works as a pretty good analogy for a lot of things in life. But always look back to see how far you've come.
0: Scariest situation you have ever faced.
1: Um, this was one of those good lessons as well. Um, we were coming down from broad peak last summer and i was sort of like it didn't focus anymore because we we're almost off the mountain and there's a big crevasse at the base of the mountain or Ber- Bergschrund is the real name but it's like a crevasse and there's a snow bridge on top of it so basically it's like a, <laughs> a very you, you never know how thick the snow bridge is and when it will collapse but there was like an obvious spot where you need to go over it. And then a spot where you definitely don't wanna go over it. And I was just, I don't know, focusing on the French fries and pancakes in base camp that I was gonna get soon. So I it just didn't look, and I was unroped. I had my ice axe in my other hand, crampons on, and I was holding on to a rope. So that was a very good thing, but kind of loosely. And then the snow bridge just collapsed underneath me. And somehow I was able to just get my ice axe in, my crampons in and hold on to the rope and got myself from like out of there. And I was just laughing hysterically. I don't, that was like a weird reaction, but I was was just like, I was close. And my climbing partner was like, what did you just do? Why didn't you watch where you were going? And yeah, so finish with with focus. That's a good lesson.
0: And then I would imagine if you wouldn't have stopped, then that was the end. Yeah. That close that quickly, right? Like that kind of, and here's like, this, yeah. this is a mother question we got is like, what, where do people die? Like what, what kills people up on the mountains?
1: Uh, so high altitude sickness is definitely one of the reasons. So you're, either your brains or your lungs start filling up with water. And because of the altitude, there's, you can look those up if you want to know more. Uh, But then I think the objective dangers are always there, but those you can mitigate by learning to read the mountain. Um, Sometimes you need to roll the dice a little and understand that you are taking some certain risk. So rockfall, avalanches, um well yeah severe weather like the weather changes cold but then mm, other people is one of the dangers nowadays as well especially if you're on a very popular route and there is some sort of things like etiquette that not everyone necessarily knows. For example, if you kick a rock, you're supposed to yell "rock" like really hard. I almost got killed last last summer with someone dropping a rock that went like that close to my head. At I don't know, but must have been at least like 50 miles per hour speed, and Jeez. this big chunk. And it was like, if it would have hit my face, I would have dropped right there. Man. So and then just your own mistakes. That's, that's one thing, But uh, ropes that break.
0: On pretty much every expedition, are you going to have like, yeah, you're pretty much going to almost die on every expedition at some point.
1: I hope not. <laughs> I hope not. I don't think I had, I've had like things that could have ended badly on a lot of expeditions, but then there's a lot of situations where you know that you made the right, right call. And then that's why nothing happened. So I think it's a lot about learning and knowing what you're getting into so that you can mitigate those risks and just train your butt off so that you'll you'll be faster on the mountain, so you'll be less exposed to the objective risks. But just, um, I, I hope it won't be every time that there is a story like that. Last summer was just crazy. It was like gut punch after gut punch and gut punch. And then you get up again and then you fall down again and you get up again. So it was, it was a hard one, but I published a book about it. So that's cool. That became a good adventure. Good for you. And it was actually, yeah. And in the end I was so exhilarated that it was like every single time I was brought down, we still got back up. So it was just like, testing your strength and in the end i was like cool i actually was able to get up every time that something happened like just get even through like frustration and tears i'd still get back up on my feet and try again until my visa ended and then we left the <laughs> country
0: ultimately it comes down <laughs> to the government doesn't it right like I, yeah. can beat, I can i can beat the weather and the mountain and myself but the government red tape is what's ultimately going yeah. to
1: stop me. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that's um yeah. what is the next what is your holy grail? What's the thing that like, ooh, this is this is this is what I want to do.
1: I don't think I can tell you because this has happened to me before that I've said my dreams out loud and then someone else went and did it because <laughs> our yeah, that's our um sort of how we uh, what we aspire to do is do and i i haven't really done anything i mean i've done cool stuff but nothing that has gone in the historic books yet so our history books uh, but um yeah there there are you gotta some keep it secret new new roots yeah mm. new roots or first first attempts or first summits uh, that hard
0: okay like that to do that makes sense mm. right like you can't tip your hat
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah Yeah, like if you tell like I want to be the first First woman to do this and this Or the first person to do this and this It's often with the mountains it's like there is no he or she You just right. The mountain doesn't care if, if you're a man or a woman
0: What is your favorite climbing Related movie?
1: Favorite climbing related movie I don't watch a lot of them Because I pick them apart a lot Like I'll be like They shouldn't be doing that they shouldn't be doing that. That's not possible to do that and that kind of stuff. So, I I think I watched Everest, uh, the like the ninety six year stra- tra- tragedy, and I was just like, I couldn't focus because I was just annoyed by little
0: mistakes. What What is something though that like you would notice that I wouldn't notice at all? Like climbers like yourself would be like, oh my god, it drives me nuts. But for me, I would be I wouldn't notice at
1: all like a thing like someone being without um proper eye shields high up in altitude and you're just like that person's gonna burn their eyes like you just gotta put your sunglasses on or you're gonna burn your eyes I've done that a few times and it's so painful but I've I have never gone snow blind but I've like had the worst feeling in my eyes and in a lot of these movies there's just people like hanging out up there with there without their eye shields or without their gloves for a really long time and you're just like that person might lose a finger soon and <laughs> yeah. that kind of stuff or then like looking at their harnesses and being like i wonder why they're carrying that thing up this mountain because every single gram counts but why are like yeah that kind of thing i have equipment
0: i have once also burned my eyes and that was the worst like oh my gosh that's the worst it's
1: so painful
0: yeah. It's awful. You don't make that mistake like you, again.
1: I've made it twice.
0: Well, I didn't make that mistake again. Yeah. Well, you are yeah. not, you are not ready for these mountains. <laughs> Let me tell you. As a person who has walked 10 miles once, you are not prepared. Get out of here.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Best food to eat after getting off the mountain.
1: Mm, French fries and pancakes. Oh yeah. They just like, they're awesome in, in base camp for some reason, like they're at 5,000 meters in base camp. They're just the best. I think it's the saltiness of, of the French fries that helps. Like you need salt right after. Oh,
0: I could see that. That's pretty much all the questions I have. Is there like anything else that you think we missed or like, what's kind of coming up next for you?
1: Well, next for me is this exciting new adventure. So I'm part of the Sports Illustrated Swim Search. And there were thousands of applications and 13 were chosen. We did a photo shoot in uh, Dominican Republic. I believe, at least what I saw from the screen, that these shots will be amazing. So, yeah, part of that. Is that kind of, like, what's that like?
0: Is it what you expected or is it like, whoa, this is really something big?
1: Well, definitely, whoa, this is something really big. I mean, the atmosphere at the shoot was just something out of this world. I've never been at a shoot like that. And I think it was mostly because the way everyone was just so kind of, I have this saying about redefining femininity. And I've been told so many times on the mountains that don't bring out your femininity or the, your feminine side because um, that'll make you less legitimate of a climber. And I don't understand that. And this is kind of like the message I got about being part of the swim search as well. And uh, there, um, so I've decided that anything that I do on the mountains, because I'm doing it as a woman, it's feminine. Like if whether it's peeing in a bottle or taking some, cool dress um photos up on a glacier or up on the mountain it's that's feminine to me and the way si redefines femininity like for example i have vitiligo which is like some parts of my body just don't um get a tan or color So they were just like before in photo shoots, everyone's been photoshopping them or trying to cover them up with makeup and that kind of stuff. And they were just like, we love, love your vitiligo. We want to show it off rather than cover it up. So there's this kind of the message that they have is so powerful because it's you actually get to be yourself. Like you're, I, for one second, I didn't feel too short or to this or to that, like what you always kind of, feel like you're trying to measure up to some sort of of, um, standard when you're at a photo shoot, like, or any photo shoot I've ever done before. And this was just like, be you, we love you the way you are. And yeah, and that's the message they put out. Like, I, I think they put it out really well for all the world to see. So it's, it's really cool. They're very powerful that way.
0: You know, we talked a little bit about the idea, like, like the mountain doesn't care what you look like, or if you're a man yeah. or a woman, did, do, do you get yeah. pushback, right? Like, do you, does, is it different being a woman in what I would assume is kind of a boys club? Or do I know nothing about this?
1: Yeah, you're pretty much right. Um, you either need to kind of, like I said, bring out your traditional femininity less, or then you're considered a mascot. And, I think, um, I like proving people wrong, so (laughs) I don't mind.
0: I want to thank Laura so much for joining us. If you want to connect with her, we have linked to her on our social media accounts. We're profoundly pointless on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. And we have also included her information in the episode description. And we're recording this at the end of March. I'm not sure if the Sports Illustrated competition is going to be, if if you're going to be able to vote on it, but if you can, we will put a link for her page in the description as well. Okay, now let's bring in John Schull and get to the pointless part of the show. When do you get gas? Do you get it when it's completely empty
2: or do you have like a mark on your tank? I thought we were going in another direction there. Uh, no, so you're talking about actual gasoline. Um, uh, usually when the light comes on within, I, I don't know. I mean, we could say within five to ten miles of the gas light coming on. I'll, I'll go get gas usually. So you actually wait for the light? Yeah, but I'm I'm nervous, right? Like I'm one of those nervous people that, that thinks to themselves, I'm not going to let it come on. And then I let it come on and then I get freaked out about it. OK, as soon as the light comes on, then do you feel like, oh, I got to get it right
0: now? Like, do you what what's your level of anxiety once the light light comes on? Or are you going to just ride it on all the way to fumes?
2: No, say say like it comes on as I'm I'm pulling into a parking lot somewhere, uh, say I'm going to work or whatever. And I, I pull in for the day like it will be on my mind all day. <laughs> like, man, I, I need where, where's the gas station. It's when I turn left out like I have to turn left right out of the station. I know some people in my life who don't let it
0: go below half a tank. Like, that's their level of anxiety. Like, half tank, they're going to get gas. I live in an area of the country where, in Seattle, where I've recently thought of, like, oh, I should probably always keep, like, almost a full tank because the big one's
2: eventually going to hit, and I don't want the big one to hit (laughs) when I got no gas. I let it ride, but I always have, we have another car that we use sparingly uh, that is filled up and the world starts to come to an end, that'll be the one that uh, we'll probably rely on, I think. Do you have any, like, emergency plans? Like, do you do you know what to do in case of an emergency? Like, are you ready to go? Oh, no, we have no. I mean, because just like you, I mean, we have children. I mean, I'm, I guess I'm going down with the kids because I can't leave the kids, so. Yeah, I guess I'd much rather die with my family.
0: Uh, yeah, I still think I would actually rather not survive any sort of apocalyptic event.
2: I'd rather be killed in it. I mean, if 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 the wife and the kids were gonna go out and I was able to to live on, I mean, I would like to see what what it could be like. <laughs> but <laughs> I was given that choice.
0: Yeah, I think I've just hit the age and have a level of tiredness at this point in my life, in which I if I was presented with some sort of an opportunity in which like, oh, I've got to really fight for my survival or die, I'm probably just gonna be like, eh. For for people who are listening to this podcast for the first time or regular listeners, I don't know if you've noticed this, but John is doing something completely different. Seems to have changed his whole attitude right now. Usually he doesn't hold the microphone, but he's trying. He told me at
2: the beginning of the show, like, I'm going to try to hold it and see what happens. You fucking wild man. Well, because Nick Nick has has held his mic a lot. And, I'm, and I was listening to a couple of different episodes. And I'm like, man, he sounds a little different, like he sounds a little better. So I'm like, maybe I'll try the mic close up or whatever. And. I don't know. I, I don't know how I sound. I think I sound fine, but do you feel yeah. do you feel more powerful now that you're holding it? <laughs> well, that in on our video like I keep looking at my big hands and I keep like trying to like oh how god, do I get the bottom of the frame. Oh yeah, they're they're I know. It looks big. For it
0: for anybody watching for it, like it basically looks like a gorilla holding a toothpick, but like he doesn't quite really know how to hold it either. Like he's holding it daintily
2: but firmly, and neither one seems to be working <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, so I, I'm trying, I'm trying something new. I don't know if it's gonna last uh, beyond this week, but but here we are. so
0: also, if we ever start putting full episodes in video form, we're gonna have to have a conversation with the people about your level of hair gel.
2: <laughs> I mean, this is a Sunday. You know, this is this. Why is a, are you that dressed up dude? on a Sunday? I mean, because I wanted to look halfway respectable for our, re- you know, record today. Okay, that's a good answer. <laughs> I mean, that's the. I mean, it's not like I. You know, I just you put a little product head. in. Oh, I don't do, my, do I that,
0: dude. Don't What's say it? the don't word think? product around me.
2: You don't know what that even means. <laughs> I mean, that is true. I really don't. Uh, I use my wife's hairspray and I don't even know, like, why don't I, I couldn't even tell you what brand it is. God, what a man uses <laughs> his wife. <laughs> borrow... What else do you borrow of your wives? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I want to admit this in front of a national televised audience. Um, uh, I, I will use her tweezers on occasion. Why is that like I don't know if
0: I should make fun of you for you using her tweezers or for like why you, you think should. that's a big deal.
2: I mean, tweezers are community property.
0: What is uh, do you have but your I own mean, tweezers?
2: Like, what are you I do I do have my own tweezers? I, I think tweezers should be something that each individual person should have. They should not be pat they're like toothbrushes to me. Oh, I never thought of it that way. Now, a toothbrush, I would never use my wife's toothbrush. I
0: don't care. If I had a choice between using my wife's toothbrush and not brushing my teeth for a week, probably just going to go ahead and put some on my finger and do that rather than use somebody else's toothbrush. I have no problem using somebody's tweezers. What are you freaking out about so much with tweezers? What are you guys doing over there?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I I don't want to get into the fine details. But let's just say that the tweezers are used uh, for more than just, you know, pecking hair. They're, you know, can be used uh, to maybe try to pop some pimples and, and things oh. like that so there's you know yeah exactly it's disgusting
0: yeah i don't have even if that's what's being done with them even if even if members of the household are using them in their private regions i don't have a problem with it <laughs> i've never got no problem with what about nail clippers then because if you got a problem with
2: tweezers you should have a problem with nail clippers so i i don't i don't use nail clippers i'm a i am ai bite my nails <laughs> okay true I, I mean i guess that sounds a little what a little about of, your feet then uh i mean I, I pick i pick my nails i don't bite them obviously but i pick them so. you
0: pick your feet mm-hmm. yeah yeah how, how do you even <laughs> i wish like what? where are you sitting when your you, face well because i don't understand it logistically number one i don't understand why you would do it number two i don't understand how you're doing it Because you don't, I'm like, I don't think that you take yoga classes. Are you standing up and just bending over?
2: Like that's uncomfortable if you're sitting on your couch and you're like crossing your leg. What, how are you even doing it? I mean, kind of what you just said. It's like, I I sit cross legged, you know, like you're in a formal setting. And then I just bring my leg up to my chest and then I just pick it for a while. (laughs) I'm much more nimble than you think for being 275 pounds. But you're just picking off your toenails. No, man. It, first off, anyone out there who understands what I'm saying understands this. It's hard to explain. I'm not just picking them off. You know, I'm just just shortening them. I don't with know. With your fingers? I mean, yeah, sometimes. Yes. I mean, mo- most times. I mean, you know, yeah. I, I don't use clippers, so, you know, use your imagination. I don't I don't even understand how you could do that. If I wanted to try to, like, cut my nails with
0: my fingers right now, I don't know. how. How do you pick them off? What do you, what do you get? I mean, start, there are you know, no,
2: <laughs> like I don't even understand how you can even do it. Your toes—I ha- mean, your, your toes and your fingers have natural, natural like, like divots right at the corner. So you just dig in there, and then you just, you know, get it and and work at it for a couple minutes, and if it's long enough, it'll just peel right off. <laughs> you, you seem like you're in amazement. I just don't understand any part of this. I don't understand
0: why you wouldn't just get clippers. Number one. Or is this okay? Oh. Is this like a nervous
2: anxiety thing? No, I mean it's actually quite relaxing. My wife hates it. <laughs>
0: yeah, she dude,
2: ab- she absolutely. Because I, everybody does. Everybody, I, I love lost respect for you. <laughs> like, I, mean, I, <laughs> I don't understand how you can even do it. Other than it's damn O light that makes me look like I'm in you know oh, interview oh, with a vampire. Oh. You do look very yeah. pale, actually. No, I do. Like
0: you should change the. Yeah, dude, you change can change that. Setting. Like, you really look like you just walked out of, like, a test tube today. <laughs> there, <right. clears throat> The whitest man in history. Like, you came straight oh, from... I know. It's Cri- bad. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually it's hurting bad. my eyes now that I look at it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's like being at a beach, man. You can't, you know, differentiate me against the sand sometimes. Wow. That's interesting that you pick your... You just pick your, what do you, do you throw the stuff away or you just leave it on the floor? Oh, man. So that, that, that's where we get, that's where my wife gets most disgusted because I'll put it in a little pile. You know, you got to save the good ones, you know? So, uh, you know, and then I'll throw them away eventually, but she gets, man. How long do you really save disgusted. them for? Well, you're not keeping them to like the next day, are you? No, just, you know, if we're, if I'm watching a TV show or something or, or whatever, oh, you know, I'll just my wait till God. I get You're just letting them.
0: <laughs> Man, yeah, it's pretty. Yeah, funny. that's pretty gross, dude. All
2: right, let's give some shout outs, shall we? Uh, shout outs. It's not the same when you hold the microphone, is it? It isn't actually. It, it doesn't sound nearly as. as it's not as, as fun. Awesome. All right, uh, Ryan Marbles, uh, Kyle <laughs> Miller, <laughs> Hunter Gilbert, that name uh, is, Ben Shepard Name always made. Shane me laugh. Marbles, Stiltner. <laughs> John Tillery. Get in here. Uh, Ryan Marbles. 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 Uh, BK Phillips. Uh, Let me see here. Sean Crew and Trent Hemelkamp. Appreciate all of you, especially Ryan Marbles, who's probably quite offended uh, that Nick yelled out his last name, but maybe he's actually happy. I don't know. Um, Look, my
0: last name's Vincent, man. It's not like it's a great thing.
2: Yeah, that's true. You got nice hair, though. Do.
0: But it's not worth the cost of having the name Vinzant that not one single person
2: in history has ever fucking gotten right. That's actually—I mean, my last name's simple, and people still mess it up on a regular basis. Yeah, I, I mean, it's five letters. Yeah, but I could see Scholl. I could slightly see it being spelled a little bit. I could see it
0: S H U L, with not two L's. I don't know what oh, is. <laughs>
2: I was like, it Oh, is. I can you see a right C there.
0: in there. It's actually weird that yeah. you don't have a C in there. You would think it would yeah. be S-C-H-U-L-L, but it's not.
2: Yeah, I think somewhere along the line when you know my family immigrated over here several oh, generations here ago. Here we go. Oh, it. Yeah, here tell us your oh, whole job you. story. I'm it's not your journey right. from the depths of poverty Hell. and success in Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh got a couple of bangers for you here okay, okay. Uh, what uh, what makes you feel more accomplished uh, walking into a restaurant or bar uh, where you're you're known where people know who you are or uh, walking into a, a gym and people know who you are oh I think you would have to
0: feel more accomplished walking into a restaurant where people knew who you were than a gym because I mean like just because you go to the gym a lot doesn't mean anything. Right. If you go into a restaurant a lot and they know who you are, either because you're a regular or because you're somebody that would generate that kind of notoriety within that area, then you've probably accomplished more. So I would say going into a restaurant or a bar and having them know who you are.
2: The older I get, the more uh, being known at, at the gym just doesn't matter. I mean, no one really gives a shit at all. So.
0: I don't, think rather that, walk. Like, yeah, I don't think anybody would know one. Why would you want someone to know you at the gym? Then they would just look at you all the time.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe you're a boss. Maybe you're, you know, maybe you're Arnold sports, you know, Arnold, then you're lifting all kinds of weight, you know, notoriety. No, I've never been, I don't think anyone's ever watched me do anything anywhere. So that's probably better for the,
0: all of society. Okay. True.
2: Uh, let's see here. Would you, uh, out of these three shows, which one would, would be your dream, uh, and if the, if one of these three shows is not your dream TV show, uh, game show to be on, I'm curious to know which one is. So I, I wrote down Jeopardy, Price is Right, or The Wheel of Fortune. Out of those three, which one would you want to be on uh, the most, or do you have another show that uh, you would rather be on more than any of those three?
0: Uh, No, I would say probably Jeopardy is my number one. Like That's what I would like to do the most, only because any other kind of game show seems to come with it like a certain level of jackassery that I just don't feel like doing.
2: <laughs> I mean, I, I wouldn't do prices right. Uh, or will of fortune because I can't stand drew Carey or Pat Sage. What do you have against uh, drew Carey? He's the he mayor just, of Cleveland. He just doesn't do it for me. I just, you know, I, I, out of those three shows jeopardy, of course uh, I'm just like you, but I always wonder, cause you know, I play along at home sometimes if I can, and I'm pretty sure I would finish dead last against any contestant ever. On yeah, this. I think I would do pretty poorly in all
0: others. I mean, <laughs> Jeopardy's probably the one show that like you actually—it's not primarily just based on luck. Like you actually have to know something, yeah. but it's also like Jeopardy. It's the game show, man. That's that's
2: the that's the that's the highest level of game shows is Jeopardy. Everything else is down from there. I, I usually uh I'm I'm hot and cold on Jeopardy. I'll watch if like uh um like the last uh person that they had on there, um that woman that was what thirty or forty games, I tuned in to see her. Uh James Holzauer a couple years ago. You know, I'll tune in if like Who? somebody is really James Holzauer. Do you know him? No. Who's what?
0: like don't say his name like
2: I mean he's Brad one ben. of I mean he, I think Well, I think he's the second most successful Jeopardy contestant of all time. The only only contestant I care about is Ken Jennings. Oh, well, yeah,
0: right. He's always going to be number one because he was the first.
2: He's the only guy that people actually remember is Ken Jennings. Mm, I would say that that uh, holds is up there now, too, though. Right. He's very famous. I know a lot about him. I am astonished. I'll say this. I'm astonished with how stupid people are. Mm hmm. Uh, this latest viral challenge uh, where people are getting shot with those. Uh, it's called the Orbeez challenge. You heard about that? No. It's basically it, it's a it's a type of airsoft gun called Orbeez. And they have like these little soft gel pellets or something. But somewhere along the line, in the last couple of weeks, somebody thought it was funny to call, you know, go around and shoot up random people with it, with it, with this gun. And now it's turned into something called the Orbeez challenge. And. Uh, There's videos of people going around and basically shooting other people with these Orbeez. And it's only going to be a matter of time before somebody gets shot to death by somebody who has an actual gun that, you know, doesn't want to get shot with a (laughs) with a with a gel, little gel ball. Usually I don't mind those
0: any kind of challenges, (laughs) but these are the ones that like, fuck, man, that's just a bad idea. And I have never found any sort of prank show or prank to be funny. I just have never found those to be funny because it's not hard. Like anybody could do that. Have you ever been a subject of a
2: prank, like a random prank? Yeah, actually, I was uh, probably the worst prank I ever remember being a part of. Uh, I was in Florida uh, for a baseball tournament. Imagine that. And uh, I was one of the younger guys on the team. And I don't even remember what it's called, but it's where uh, they take like a bag of flour or something. And they basically punch you in the face while you're sleeping <laughs> and it, it wakes you up. I, I don't know. It was popular when we were in college, obviously, but uh, well, does, yeah, what, that was probably, does the flower wake you up or is it just being punched in the face? I would imagine it's <laughs> probably what wakes you up. <laughs> like, yeah, that wakes you up. But then you wake up and you're covered in flour, and you know, it's just, uh, yeah, that was, that was probably the worst just cause I, I was, you know, you not only are you embarrassed, but you have flour on you and you just got punched or slapped in the face. You know, that, that, that was pretty bad.
0: I don't mind pr- pranks like that amongst guys, like your good guy friends, but you can't turn it into a prank war because then somebody's just going to end up hating somebody else. Like you can do one of those every once in a while, but if it's like constantly like we're pranking each other again today, like one of you is going to hate the other one. <laughs>
2: I can tell you that uh, uh, it was not my idea, but the person who did the most of those uh, ended up getting his eyebrows shaved off uh, before the trip was over. So, Oh, yeah. It's coming um, back to you. Okay. Are you ready for our top five? Top five.
0: Okay. So our top five is top five popular things you have no interest in doing. What's your number five?
2: Uh, so it's – it's well, I have to explain this but it's watching uh a lot of different streaming shows. And I don't watch a lot of TV. I do watch some shows, but I'm talking about like the binging of shows. Like where people will just sit in front of uh a TV all weekend or whatever or you you talk to someone and you're like, "Hey, did you see this show?" and you think you're all b- big and bad cuz you may have watched something a little obscure and they're like, "Oh yeah, I watched that." And I've watched like it's it's uh, you know, it's early show and it's later show and have you seen this other show and it's just I'm good, man. I'll stick with what I like and I don't have to get in on all this different streaming things. I'm I'm alright with Wait that. Wait a minute. So are you are you against people watching multiple shows
0: or are you against people just watching a show in
2: one sitting? No, I, I I'm first off I'm not against I'm not against it. I just I it's just something popular that I don't have any watching any TV. real care in doing. No, like watching um I mean, I can't really even name you any any really, like, off the top of my head, any shows in the last year. Like, Stranger Things. Uh, like, I, I have no interest. Like, I, I could care less, right? Or uh, or those Korean shows that came out. Like, I, I really don't care. I like, started, when you started this, I thought
0: I knew what your number five was. I'm still not entirely sure what your number, <laughs> like, what is it? You're against binging shows, you're against watching TV in general, you're I, against watching no, more I, than one show. Like what are you against?
2: I I I'm against the thought the the thought <laughs> process of you have of streaming and you have to be on top of everything that's streaming. Like, you got to watch The Mandalorian. Then you have to watch that show that's on Hulu. Then you have to watch Drive to Survive on Netflix. Oh, well, you better get a Showtime account because you have to watch, you know, Entourage or HBO. Like, Where are you feeling all this pressure to watch these shows? Because I don't feel this
0: pressure whatsoever. When people (laughs) ask me, have I seen something? And if I haven't seen it, I just say no. (laughs) And then the conversation basically ends there. Or it may continue with, like, Oh, you got to watch it. And then I'll either fake interest in it or blow them off. I might occasionally be really interested, but like, I don't understand how you got to this level of feeling this amount of anxiety towards watching TV shows. Like I haven't seen it. Do you feel, are you worried about being left out? Like, Oh, I'm not going to know what happened in parks and recreation.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't say left out, but there, there is, there is a certain sense of, you know, there, there's not enough time. Like, to, to to watch uh, what i want to watch let alone all these other advertisements mm. and friends and people and everything now else i see now i you now know. we're getting now yeah. i know what's happening I,
0: you want to watch some strange shit you want to watch some strange shit but you also feel the need that you like oh but i gotta keep up appearances so people don't know that i'm watching some weird stuff <laughs> I, you sure. want to be like I, the one guy watching the oh, wait, what's this 2016 movie that nobody's ever heard of and has no actors that anybody's heard of? That's what I want to watch. But I can't watch that because I got to keep up with Stranger Things to keep up appearances. You're letting peer pressure dictate your life, man. You can't
2: do that. I'm I'm just not – I just could care less about about the streaming anxiety and push of our generation. Maybe that's a better way to put it.
0: did not even know it existed.
2: Yeah, (laughs) of course it does. Of course it does. Okay. What's your number five? <laughs> I don't even know about um books. I don't really okay. have
0: any interest in books. <laughs> I don't want to. This might be the worst top five. <laughs> this will get off to a real great start. I just don't have any interest okay. in reading books. I don't want to read books. I don't want to hear about books. If it's that good, they'll make it into a TV show. And then I'll watch that.
2: <laughs> See, there you go right there. Make it into a TV show, and then you'll watch it. Right. I just don't I have no interest in books. Well, I'm not entirely sure books are still popular, but we'll we'll just go ahead. We'll call number five. How watch many books book. about World War II do you have? I mean, I, 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 I don't know. I'm going to say less than 100, but more than 50. <laughs> what? What? I honestly thought you guys, I was going to laugh hysterically if you said seven. You've got more than oh. 50 books about World War II? I mean, I probably have more than seven books by – more than seven different books by the same author uh, about World War II. Wow. If I'd actually guess a number probably between 70 and 85, I would think. So if you did that math really quickly, that means you spent almost $10,000 on World War II books. <laughs> well, I could have – I I've, I know I spent it at worse places doing worse things, so um, I'm okay with that. Okay. All right. What's your number four? Uh, skydiving. Okay. All right. There's an, now we're
0: now we're talking here. Not these nebulous <laughs> concepts of, I don't like it oh, when people gonna, ask me if I've seen a TV it's, show. It, it's going to get worse. So I hope you're ready. But, uh, okay. Skydiving. I understand that. I've gone. I don't think that I would necessarily go again. It was, I don't really remember that much about it. I did black out on the way down, which is a problem. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Apparently a, a bad bit. thing to have happen yeah um my my number four is brunch i don't understand brunch at all i've never like either get breakfast or get lunch like who wants to (laughs) eat at
2: 10 30 and then man, i think you're in the minority with that one buddy yeah but i want one or the other and
0: i don't understand why they call it brunch when it's basically dominated by breakfast foods. Have you ever gone to brunch and gotten like, you know what I'm going to get? I'm going to get a burger. I'm going to get a ham sandwich at 830 or at
2: 1030 in the morning. <laughs> you basically just get breakfast. Why can't it just be late breakfast? I mean, it can be whatever you want. It sounds like you have anxiety about brunch. I just don't enjoy the process of it. Um, but seriously, <laughs> have you ever ordered like lunch food at brunch? No, I don't think so. Usually, Well... No, I mean, I've had chicken and waffles, but that doesn't really count because that's a breakfast dish.
0: Can you think of anybody in your entourage that you has gotten lunch at brunch?
2: Not, not, not in a normal setting. Right.
0: You know. It's never happened. I'm telling I mean, you. They're... I don't think that people, like, it's just late
2: breakfast. There's no lunch involved in it. Nobody's getting club sandwich. Someone orders a salad at brunch. I'm turning it over and... You know, yelling at them. As you should. All right, what's your number three? (laughs) All right, here's another one. Here's another one that's going to make no sense. Uh, (laughs) Social media. Oh, yeah. I think that there's very few people who actually like
0: social media. Like, they like – I can understand people who probably like – when other people like the things that they put on social media, like everybody likes that when they put up something that people comment on or popular or whatever like that. But I don't think that people really like looking at other people's social media that much. I think that if you could have one of those votes where everybody told the secret truth and didn't lie about it, we would probably get rid of it as a society. Like I think that people would actually want to get rid of it.
2: I just, I mean, you kind of just nailed down what I was going to say. I don't, you know, it it just sucks, and if I didn't need it for my profession or just to maybe have Facebook to post a couple of pictures on there or whatever, uh, from time to time, um, man, I, I just I, I would not be on it. So says the, number three.
0: Says the guy who sends out no less than fifteen tweets every time there's a Formula One race that happens.
2: That is true. That, is, that I, mean that that's my gig, man. I I, I like it. So I once again I. I, it's not that I, I dislike uh, uh, social media. I just I wish that it wasn't around and I was never introduced to it, you know? So you're so you're only okay with it if if people are doing what you want. That's what it sounds like. You're only okay What's with your... people watching T
0: V and having fun if they're watching your shows. Why 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 did you have to like put in the second part? What's your number? Three? <laughs> I just wanted to see your face. Uh fine dining. I think that spending money on food is ridiculous and a complete waste, but I also don't so have a sense we- of smell, so it's meaningless to me.
2: It's weird. My number two is uh, formal dining, and what I mean by that is is uh, kind of what you just said, but you go to a steakhouse, and it costs you $120 to have uh, you know, a piece of meat that you can make at home and get it for $12 at the meat market, and it's going to taste the same. Do you actually have a meat market?
0: Do you go to a special meat guy or do you just go to the grocery store?
2: <laughs> I mean, what do you, you think is going to be the answer? You, go you make to, fun of me. Do you really have a meat guy? I mean, I, I go to a certain place. Uh, other than, like, if I'm just going to pick up hamburger or something, no, I'll go to, you know, the local grocery store. But if I want a special cut or something to smoke, I'll, uh, yeah, I'll go to a meat market in the area. Oh, God. I bet you talk the person up cut. at the counter, don't you? No, man, I have anxiety. Are you kidding me? I don't even like ordering at Starbucks because I get anxiety. You don't chat him up like, "Hey, Gus, what you got this week?" I could see you. You will when you're older. No, not not unless not unless uh, he like wants to talk to me, which has happened. I mean, I have talked meat with uh, with with other men before. Uh, what number are we on here? You're on your number two. I'm gonna pull an audible.
0: This is not what I was initially going to put in there. No, I'm going to make it, an, I'm just going to hyphenate it because I think these two, while they have nothing to do with each other, I think they both occupy the same space. Uh, my number two is reality TV and dressing up. Hmm. I have no interest in either of those.
2: Reality TV, I have zero interest in. I, I don't even watch The mass Singer anymore. I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago, I shamefully admitted that I watched that show, but uh, don't do that anymore. And I don't, I don't mind dressing up. Dressing up's okay. I, I get anxiety about it because I'm a larger person, and uh, finding clothes sometimes that look really nice are harder. But uh, other than that, it's I don't mind dressing up. It's okay. Okay. All right. What's your What's your number one? Uh, cryptocurrency. Oh, I don't know if
0: that's number one worthy though. That's a strong. I could see that as a, as an honorable mention. You hate cryptocurrency more than anything else because uh, so no I, I just interest in it more than any other popular thing.
2: Yeah, for, for sure. It's it's one of those things to where I, I don't really understand it um, like I think I do. And then I talk to someone that actually gets it. And I'm like, I wow, I know f- any, I had no clue what any of this really was or what it could mean or what it doesn't mean, et cetera, et cetera. I just I have just come to the fact that I have no interest whatsoever in cryptocurrency at all. The only thing that worries me about cryptocurrency is I think that
0: very few people actually understand it. Like, I think that if you went and took money matters matters in general, like stocks, bonds, trading, all that kind of crap, I would think only 10 to 15% of people who are involved in it actually know what the fuck is going on. Like, the rest (laughs) of them are basically just gambling in one way or another. I think with cryptocurrency, I bet that number goes down to 5%. That re- not that not that can sound like they know, not that they just regurgitating what somebody else has just told them, but actually know what's going on. I think that number is probably pretty low for cryptocurrency, even lower than like Wall Street.
2: Yeah, I think you're giving, um, I mean, 10 to 15 percent, I would say four to five percent. And then I would say less than that for cryptocurrency. But maybe maybe I'm wrong. Who knows? My number one is theme parks. Ooh,
0: I Uh, have no interest in theme parks whatsoever. And I have family mm. that lives in Florida and I have two young children and they're going to go to the theme parks. And I'm like, nope, not going. (laughs) That to me is if I died and was transported to be to hell,
2: it would be Walt Disney World in the summer. (laughs) That's my idea of hell. Now is that because you worked there or are you worked in a market where you covered them a lot or is that would that be regardless
0: No I hate it because everything about it is overrated If you go there it's hot that's not any fun it's expensive that's not any fun and the rides aren't really that great considering that you're going to spend 3 hours in line like every single part of that aside from a 30 second experience is awful it Sounds awful to me like, whoa, I had fun on the downhill part of the roller coaster. Yeah, but the other 24 hours you were there sucked and cost you a lot of money.
2: <laughs> you know, that that's probably the the only real downfall for me is the money. Because it should not cost, I don't, I don't even know what it cost. Oh, I was at 120 bucks? You know, a ticket. Probably around then, if Still, not more, now. I mean, but like, Cedar Point is really cool. Six Flags is cool. Universal Islands of Adventure is cool. Uh So, yeah, I I mean, I understand what you're saying. Uh, You could have just put Disney World and I would have been okay. But for all of theme parks, uh, I'm not sure I necessarily agree with that. Look, you're the guy that went on and
0: complained about every single streaming service. (laughs) I'm okay with complaining about all theme parks.
2: Oh, yeah, please. I mean, that's yeah. Okay. What's in your honorable mention? I have a bunch. Uh, uh, What'd you say? I have a bunch. A bunch of honorable mentions but i want to hear your first uh so i I have uh winter sports uh like snowboarding uh skiing you know just like like we kind of alluded to earlier Mm -hmm. not a big outdoor guy not sure i would do well in either of those things um the it's instapot craze i don't know what that is the the instapot no how do you know about all these different trending things because I work in the media. Oh, boy. Well, that would be, <laughs> I mean, you think you'd, be, you'd think you'd have better current events then? <laughs> yeah, you think I so. I fucking said it. I mean, we could talk about all the terribleness. I don't that's want all to talk about um, terribleness, no. Okay. What's uh, the Instapot? Is it like Nanny uh, Pot? Um, it, It's basically a device that uses, like a pressure cooker. Oh, it uses pressure okay. to cook the food fast, uh, and it can, you know. Cook noodles like a full noodle dish in like 10 minutes. So cool.
0: I just start early. Not for it, man. I would just start early. Uh,
2: <laughs> right?
0: Like if I had, that's, a, I know exactly what my wife would say to me is like, wait a minute, why don't we get this Instapot? We can cook this meal we usually cook in 30 minutes and 10 minutes. Like, or we could just start 20 minutes earlier and save all that money. That's what I would do.
2: <laughs> well, I, I actually have that kind of on my own. mention. Uh doing it yourself, DIY projects yeah I agree. I don't like A doing it because I don't know what I'm doing <laughs> likewise. uh, and then I have reality TV shows on there that's kind of kind of wraps up my list. okay. um, I have celebrity drama. I don't care at all about celebrity drama or celebrities lives
0: in general. um coffee, don't care about coffee, wine, any kind of phone filters. when people talk to me about like try this new filter, I' not paying any attention to that museums don't care about museums botanical gardens Sounds like you don't like to have any fun a museum is a good time i love going there and staring at old airplanes that's fucking amazing
2: Ooh. Yeah, museums museums are fantastic you're you're not giving it a fair shake history major i can't think of a single time where i went to a museum and said to myself i had a good time at that museum man I mean, had a good time there today I mean, how many times have you actually gone to a museum lately? More than I would like to think that more than I would <laughs> like to admit enough. Okay. All right. I'm also going to include
0: botanical gardens on that. Ooh. Don't ever ask me to go to a
2: botanical garden. Butterfly gardens too. Nope. Now I can totally do a overrated. butterfly garden. A butterfly garden is the best part of a botanical garden
0: or a museum.
2: I'm going to say going to the beach too. I want to put that one out there as well. Completely overrated. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I could actually – oh, God. No, I could make it – I would – that should probably actually be one of our number ones or twos, going to the beach. It's, That's not yeah, that fun. Now, doing stuff at the beach, like if you're going out there going surfing or paddleboarding or whatever, but just going to the beach and, like, hanging out, not really that fun. Not at all. Um, huh. <laughs> I have uh, making friends. Not really that (laughs) interested in making any friends. (laughs) Also, old and angry, old and angry. Also, leaving the house. Not really that interested (laughs) in leaving the house.
2: Well, that's what COVID's done to some people. (laughs) Oh, you included
0: Oh, okay. That's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, please leave a rating or a review. We really appreciate it. It really does help us out. And let us know what are some things that other people really seem to enjoy, but you just have no interest in. And if you could try to make it a little bit more clear exactly what you're not interested in than John did for his fifth reason. Still not entirely sure what exactly he was talking about. But John, if you hear this, never change, man. Never change.
1: Seeking the truth never gets old.